Right, okay, well, um, I'm hoping Josh is going to put the scriptures up. We're looking at Matthew 9. If you've got a Bible or on your phone or you've got a hard copy, I'm still old-fashioned, I like my hard copies. Um, I'm going to be turning to quite a few, well, a few scriptures, so if you want to follow, uh, I'll shout them out and you can uh, read them for yourself as we go through them if you want. Bear with me. Right, okay. Um, Yeah, we're going to be looking at Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Maybe they'll come up with a flight. I'll just read them out and uh, try and soak it in if you can. You know, amazing, look at this. There's so richness. We've only got about five verses. But there's so much in there, I've had to chop what I was going to say in half. (laughs) Okay. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Yeah, exactly. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Okay, this um, 17-year-old son of a preacher just passed his driving test and said to his dad, um, Dad, can I borrow the car? Can I borrow the car? So his, his dad says, um, well, let me think about this, son. Let's have a think. He says, if your mock results come up to scratch in a few months' time, um, I want to see you reading your Bible a bit more. <coughs> and how about a haircut? <coughs> so his son goes away. And lo and behold, three months later, comes back, shows his mock results. Oh, very good, son, very good. And I've noticed you've been reading your Bible a bit more. And what, but what about the haircut? He says, well, Dad, I've been thinking about that. You know, he says, um, Moses had long hair. Samson had long hair. It was his strength, wasn't it, Samson? And you know what? It's John the Baptist. He had, he had, he had long hair. And, and there's a good case Jesus had long hair as well, Dad. He says, yes, son, but um, how did they get around? They walked everywhere. Exactly. Right. So the first point. As Jesus was walking along, verse 9, as Jesus walking along, simple but profound point I just want to make is that walking pace is a sure way of being able to connect with people. I mean, even if you're on a bicycle, I know Paul's a cyclist. You know, once you get out of your car, get on his bike, you start to connect, you can feel the air, the wind, and you can wave and say hi to people. But walking is a sure way. Um, And if you look in Luke, I've got it here, Luke 18, 40, When blind Bartimaeus shouts out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. The next two words, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. So, simple point, but I'm just saying that we can be so busy. It's very challenging if you've got a busy lifestyle, isn't it? Um, I heard Kevin J. John talking about slow down, look after yourself. And he said he even starts to flush the toilet before he's finished. And he was giving himself a hard time because he's always just in a rush. Now, 
I don't know if you remember before, I mentioned the church I was part of. We had this thing going called the 15-minute revolution. And it was just a, a way to try and kickstart us to wake up in the morning and think, right, 15 minutes today I'm going to give to somebody. Because to bless people, to love, to show the love of God, we've got to, um, what have I put it here, privilege responsibility to have time for people. And so this idea of 15-minute revolution was just to try and kickstart people into giving at least 15 minutes of their day to somebody. I mean, you, you know and I know it can take a lot longer than that. But to be prepared to be inconvenienced. You just have a badge. Go ahead, inconvenience me. I mean, that's, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? That's pretty challenging. So I think we have to settle in our hearts that to be salt and light, we have to be prepared to be inconvenienced. If you remember, Jesus went across a lake in Mark 5, all the way to the, you know, the tombstones where this guy was self-harming, cutting himself. One man. Jesus told three stories. The lost coin, one lost coin. Um, what was the next one? Lost coin, lost sheep. Left the 99, went to the one. Lost son, one, one, one. Right, so it's not quantity. It's our genuine love for people. And our genuine love is often, love spelt time sometimes, isn't it? Okay. This little girl, dad's calling her, come on, I'm going to be late for school. In a rush. What's news? Put some stuff in the bin. They keep going. Lady dropping fruit and veg all over the pavement. Get to school. Lady going across the zebra crossing. And that's it. So they rewind it. <clears throat> and this time the little girl gets up 10 minutes early. She, she, she's sort of leaving. She says, Dad, come on, we're going to be late. So Dad says, oh, okay, I'll put this tea down, go out. So as they go out, <clears throat> the neighbour's really struggling. She's got a really bad back. And so the little girl says, oh, I'll help you with that, Mrs Brown. She helps. <clears throat> then all the vegetables and fruit fall out of the pram. So they, they spend time having a little chat with her. And they come to the zebra crossing, which is the nicest touch. She has a little drawing that she's given to the lollipop lady. So the simple point is having time and having... Um, maybe she got, little girl got those people on her heart and she got them on a prayer list because the secret is when you're loving and blessing people is when you get to know them, you pray for them and then you get other ideas and thoughts and little kind things you can do. So I just want to pray that that point, that simple point of Jesus walked and um, Father God, we just thank you for Jesus as our example. Lord, we live such busy lifestyles. And I do pray, Father, that we will have time for people that we've sung this morning. Leave me in your love to those around me. So, Father, fill all of us, Lord, with more of your love, more of your patience, more of your, I don't know, ways that we can save time, Lord. Because, Father, it's an adventure uh, sharing your love with people to see, to have genuine friendships with them so that they really have a tangible taste of your love through us. Help us, Lord, to walk and be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, point two, verse 10. If you're following me, have you got numbers on there? Number 10, yeah. It says, later, I've got in mind, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So, I don't know how, we don't know how later this was after Jesus called him, but what I want, just want to point out, very, again, very simply, is that Matthew is thinking, oh, I want Jesus and the disciples to come around. Oh, and ha-ha's all my mates. 
all my friends, all my fellow sinners and fellow distributors. So he invites them as well. So you've got this mixture, which I haven't time to go into detail, but when you get you know, non-believers and believers together, Christians and non-Christians together, it's very powerful. If you remember when you came, you know, I invited everyone to the tea, the tea party at my house. Well, we had about five neighbours there. Okay, and so I'm, I'm having a good conversation with them, friends. So it was a lovely mixture. And it was natural, wasn't it? We just played games. We had a good time. But um, there was something around you. It's kind of one of the songs we did at the end. But it was just, it was lovely. And what I'm trying to point out is that try to be missional-minded in lots of things that you do. Uh, I've just got a couple of examples here. Um, last time I spoke, I don't know if you remember, I, I said I joined the pool team in Paul. Because there's this statistic, it used to be in the 2000s, that if you become a Christian and follow Jesus, within five years, you don't have any non-Christian friends. I don't know how true that is these days, but it's quite shocking that, isn't it? So you have to make um, a conscious effort, a deliberate act to stay in the world, because Jesus says we're in the world, not of it. So I joined the pool team, and, and the extension from that now is that, do you know Luke, Luke Selwell down at Jubilee? Luke says, oh, would you want to come to our pool evening? So Sunday night, he takes some Christian friends and some non-Christians. So I said, I'll bring one of the... Uh, he's the captain of the pool team, actually. He's a really good player. So we're going to go. And I just want to go see if that environment might be good to... You know, there'll be just things said, you know. There'll be just things said as Christians. It, it'll rub up, off on him. So that's one example. The other one I want to um, try and provoke you with is that if you go into an event or you go into a part of something just pray about it and say god how can i make this missional how can i make this missional so my example is i went to this concert i'm a bit fanatical about this band so i went to this is going to sound way over the top they were doing four concerts in england so i followed them from glasgow manchester birmingham and where's the last one must have been newcastle i think the last one so that's quite a bit of expense so i was feeling a bit mm. so i said lord what can i do and so i wrote um you call it a tract but i wrote using all the band's lyrics um, that match the gospel and things of Jesus and, and stuff. And I wrote it and I printed 20 off for this concert. All the fanatics sort of were in the front row and I was about five, six rows back. And about 20 minutes before the band came on, every night, I just went around and said, oh, someone, I said, I'm handing these around. Oh, I said, I, sometimes, to be honest, I said, someone's handing them around. I didn't say them from me. And I gave them one. They all went around this row and I could see them. And I sat back and I watched them. And they read the whole thing and most of them went like that and kept it. They didn't chuck it on the floor or anything. So I'm hoping when I get to heaven, I might see that some seeds that were sown through that. So just an example of making things missional. Okay. Um, verse 11. Verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? I find that's pretty shocking language that, isn't it? You think someone has stood up and, you know, how dare you call people scum? Um, now, there are a lot of people, as described in this language, disreputable people around Jesus. If you read the same story in Mark 2, in brackets it says, um, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So Jesus had people of ill repute around him all the time. That was normal. And what, the point I want to pull out from this one is that the attitude of the religious leaders... It stopped them actually reaching people, didn't it? It cut them off. They looked down on people. They thought they were scum. There was no way they were going to interact with those people. So it's important, obviously, that we don't have that attitude. 
And it's important that we meet people where they're at. Um, I hear a lot these days in the circles I'm in that, uh, oh, w- when he has a bath, when he wants to know more about Jesus, when he is coming more open-hearted, when he's this, when he's that. I think Josh mentioned that phrase the other week when he was talking about reaching people. The this isn't that. We need to rise above all that. We need to meet people where, where they're at, don't we? We haven't got to let the fact that they're not asking questions about Jesus yet put us off from loving people, for goodness sake. In fact, if I take an extreme opposite, I met a guy in the church at Cayley, and we got talking. He, he wasn't going to church or anything, and he, but he talked in the, I don't know why, but in the conversation, he says, oh, um, someone gave me this scripture 30 years ago about Jeremiah, you know, the plans I have for you, that one. Now, I thought, hmm, I don't want this guy to think that I'm just being friends with him to invite him along to church. So I did the total opposite. He liked badminton and they liked pool. So, fortunately, they liked pool. God, they liked pool. So I took him, I rung up the sports centre and we had games of, games of badminton. And to cut a long story short, um, he died last, the January gone last year, but, um, you know, so he was in his late 70s. But I booked, uh, he came to my house and he helped me decorate. I went to his, I helped him with his garden. It was a genuine friendship. Because uh, somewhere in Ephesians, I think it says, now really love people. And that really touched me at the time. You love people, but, but now really love them. So that genuine friendship was there. Not to get him to church, but that just happened naturally. One time he just said, oh, what do you do Sundays? And I told him, I meant, he said, oh, can I come? And he came for four years until he died, every week. And obviously we have home group, and he came to for four years to home group every night. It, just, it was just natural. So, so that, that was lovely. But it's just an opposite of not, you know, people thinking that you're trying to get them to church. That's the only reason you're speaking them to. And I think we have to be wise with that. Um, what else was going to say on this? Um, oh, yeah, another thing I've come up against is people say, oh, don't, don't talk to her, she's got dementia. Or don't talk to him, he'll get angry with you if you mention Jesus. And I'm thinking, I can't be God. Surely it's not up to me who I tell Jesus about. I, I just, I can't get my head around that. So I'm, you know, I'm sat on this table, I'm lovely chat with this, she's got a mother there, this lady, and she's, she's got a little bit of dementia, and I'm lovely chat, and this lady comes and whispers to me, oh, you're wasting your time. Oh, that's just not right, is it? Um, and then I knew the guy might be angry, so it's just the way you handle it, just say the way you befriend, befriend with people. I'm not going to wind him up. I, I knew he wouldn't get angry with me because of just the way that we're going to talk to him. But I have to, we all have to give an account to God, don't we, when we get there? The other thing I wanted to point out from this is no matter what state of life people are in, it goes back to the point I was making about some people in the way when people start to sound as if they're interested in Jesus. But we don't know how people have been hurt and damaged, do we? Only God knows that. And if we'd have had the start that some people have had in life, it would probably, we'd probably be in that mess that those people are in. You know, PTSD, uh, trauma, it is absolutely devastating. And it wires your brain, if it's in your, in your infancy, it wires your brain. I read one guy, two and a, from the age of his two, his mum used to lock him in the washing machine so she could go out and meet men in the pub. She put a heavy weight, it was a top loader. And it was like the washing machine was the babysitter. I mean, what would that do to a two-year-old? So I'm just saying, don't judge. Just rise above all all the mess and just love people. And the Holy Spirit is just wonderful. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. The Holy Spirit comes to speak to people. The Holy Spirit, and it's just natural. You don't even have to work at that. Just love people and just being with them. You just don't know what's going on. It's amazing how people... um, 
I think I told you the story last time the lady, she, her husband had died and I'd helped her out and I'd taken stuff to the child shop and I'd done this and I'd done that. It was over six months. Next thing, she's reading her Bible. I said, oh, what are you doing? Do you want to do some Bible study? Yeah. So for seven months, we met every week and we did Bible study and she, I took her to a few churches if she was comfortable there. And um, she was nine out of ten wanting to give her life to Jesus by September and by December she gave her life to Jesus. And that was just... Well, obviously, the Bible study with it, but that was just loving her initially. Are there some people that we avoid? Are there some people that we avoid? What I'd say to that, there's some people who are quite draining, aren't we? Because they've got a lot of hurt and they've got a lot of pain. And, 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 and that's fine, but as a, as a group, you know, we can share that around. It just makes things a bit lighter, because it, it is over faces sometimes, trying to help people. <sighs> Sorry, I'm getting a bit upset. But they want, to, they need God's love just as much as we need it. And um, you know, I've mentored kids in school; they're just bottomless pit of attention. You can't give them enough attention because they don't believe they're loved, and so they're messing around. They want this, they want that attention to themselves. And you just got to keep loving, and you just got to keep loving. Scientifically, you are creating new pathways in the brain from "I'm unloved and I'm unwanted" to oh, "I hope somebody actually cares about me," and that can take time. And it can take a lot of love. But you slowly build a path. And if it's constant, it becomes a motorway. And then their thinking jumps from the negative pathway to the positive pathway. But that, that can take time. I mean, God can do things in an instant. And we've got God on our side. I'm just giving you a scientific example. Some people are needy. Um, done that bit. Oh, last one on this one, yeah. Don't expect people to be like us or... or, or others <laughs> um, I did a car I did a community buffet in my last job got people around and uh, there was a lot of disreputable people there some alcoholics some were drug addicts some were this some were that but the steward of the church I put a big sign up and I put um, how could this be better next time and I wrote warm the plates just to kick it off <laughs> and so this this lady <coughs> with a partner and the you know they were um, alcoholics she wrote Carvery. Now that's a pretty big ask, isn't it, Carvery? So I sort of smiled to myself. But she put something on and I was chuffed. The, the chief steward, who does she think she is? How dare she put that? And I said, you can't expect people to be about you. you know, when you fish, you've got to cut the head off, you've got to gut it, you've got to prepare it and, and, and cook it, and then it comes on the platter. You know, it's, it's smelly and it's dirty. And, you know, people can come like that and, and great. And, and God will clean them up. And God will change them. And we've just got to trust in God's hands. But um, don't expect people to be like you, to be like us. Okay. Right. Um. Oh, I've had two words of caution that ring in my ears when I speak of this, this particular thing. Well, someone said, yeah, but if you get alongside people, you can get dragged into their world. So I just think, well, just be wise. You know, if you're vulnerable, if you're an ex-alcoholic. Um, there's nothing wrong with alcohol, by the way. Jesus turned 40 gallons of water into one. Don't get drunk, it says. But, um, you know, if, if you're susceptible, if you're weak in that area, then, yeah, maybe you'd be wise and, and help other people. And the other one I, I heard was, um, don't get used to be taken... Oh, don't get taken advantage of, was another criticism. And I thought, well... If I get taken advantage of, I don't care. I don't mind being taken advantage of. If I've loved somebody, that's going to stay with them, isn't it? But yeah, I might, I might not do that again. But I, I think it's important to give people 
benefit of the doubt, another chance, a second, you know, we should all, three, four, five, six chances. You know, I think we still shouldn't uh, back off from expressing the love of God. And, and then to finish this section, I just wanted to read out from Luke 14, 12, if, if, you, if you want to know where this is from. Then Jesus turned to the host and he says, when you put a dinner party on, don't, and in some versions it says just, in some versions it doesn't, don't just invite friends, brothers, relatives and rich neighbours, for they'll return your invitation. Instead, invite, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. And in one version it says misfits. <clears throat> then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who can't repay you. God's into rewards. I once heard a preacher say that, you know, when we, when we get to heaven, he's going to be handing out jobs. You might be in charge of a city, you might be in charge of a planet, you might be in charge... It, it was quite a mind-blowing preach, but he was trying to um, envisage running heaven, because we're be, not going to be sat around playing harps. There's going to be a heaven to run. Streets of gold, etc., etc. Right. Oh, um, um, sorry, I thought of another final thing on this. Inviting people to church. I just want to say something like that. I'm all for inviting people to come and meet the church on Sunday. I'm a, I'm a story of that, because when I was down and depressed, somebody invited my hairdresser. It was my hairdresser. She said, well, why don't you come meet the church? And so I, I went along. But what I want to say, flip that over and think outside the box. You know, invite people for a coffee. Invite people uh, and get alongside them wherever they are. Just don't feel disappointed and upset. You've invited people to church and they don't come. We need to journey with people. Uh, I, Neil was praying this morning about people that been and gone and I, I, my heart would be that we get back to those people and get alongside and not put any pressure on them to come meet with us but to actually love them and just to get to know them as friends and, and together we could do that we, it's too much for a few people to do it isn't it um, right I said I'll finish this section then with this story I can't remember the whole story but it just makes the point there was this giant statue covered in clay been there for centuries and this community, I think they were Buddhists, this, they were going to up sticks and go to another location. So this giant crane is lifting this giant clay Buddha onto the back of a lorry. And as it did so, it, it cracked. And um, one of the monks shone a torch through. I couldn't believe it. Inside there was gold. It was, the whole thing was solid gold. And I'm just telling that story because I think that's how we need to see people. There's gold inside everybody. It might be crushed, it might, you know, see, it might be laid dormant, it might be hurting and damaged heart, but it's in there and we've got to call it out and, and recognise that God, they're made in their image and God is wanting them to live that life that's been damaged and been covered over with clay. Okay, um, I'll just touch on Barnabas because again, Josh did the other week. Just an example of Barnabas being non-judgmental. You know, I, I love this guy. It says this. Upon arrival in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. Now, we're talking about Saul. Remember, Saul was persecuting Christians, killing people. And everybody was, whoa, get out of his way. That Saul's coming. Everybody was afraid of him. They thought he was faking. Because, remember, he'd had this experience. Jesus had spoke to him. A flash of lightning had gone blind. Somebody laid hands on him. So he was now become a Christian. And he was on fire for Jesus. And he was going around talking about Jesus. But everybody was... Are you sure about this? I bet he's just pretending. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Paul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, what the Lord had said to him, and all that his powerful preaching 
about his powerful truth and the images. Then they accepted him, and after that, he was constantly with the believers. So it was Barnabas that actually went for a coffee with him and, and heard his story, spent time with him, understood it was genuine, so he introduced him. So, but everybody else didn't want to know him. Okay, so I'm just going to pray about that as well now, if that's all right. Father, we thank you for people that we have made in your image. And Lord, you have given us the privilege of being your child. We have the right to be the children of God because we're with you, Lord. But Lord, you want us to go. And not under pressure, not in condemnation, and not to feel bad if we can't do it, Lord. But just to naturally love people. And not to judge them. But Lord, to see the worth and value. That we can't put a price on a person, Lord. It's incredible when there's a change around, Lord, that their, their input, Father. You know, they've been where many people go. Their mess can be their ministry, Lord. You can use people so wonderfully. It's so, oh, it's so touching when people turn their lives around and they live for you. And they use all the damage and all the hurt, Father. And they channel it into loving you and to being healed and coming through and to being able to pass on everything that you've shown them, Lord. So, Father, help us to see beyond the immediate. Amen. Okay. Right. Ooh, doing quite well. Um, verse 13. Verse 13, if you follow me. Um, then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. Now, that's a whole preaching itself, so I'm skipping that. And I'm going to concentrate on the second part where he said, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Um, and my experience of this, knowing that I'm a sinner, I didn't for many, many years, maybe 26 years all my life. When I first went and was invited to hear the gospel, it was so moving. It stayed with me all week. And that particular church, they had a bookshop and a coffee shop. It was lovely. And I, I went in and I felt so bad in there. I was looking through some books and I thought, I need to get out of here. I just didn't, I just didn't feel right. I just thought, I'm just not up. I suppose I was thinking I'm up to their standard. They were better than me. Maybe things like that. Okay, it's such a long time ago, I can't remember. I just remember feeling so bad and felt unworthy. And then years later, I realised that this was important because the next week when I heard the message about Jesus and the grace, remember grace is undeserved love to those who are unworthy. Undeserved love to those who are unworthy. It's only realising and knowing that, that I appreciated and, and was moved by the grace of God. Because I didn't know anything about the grace, well, the grace of God, it was just, just a word. But when you have an understanding of you're not worthy of being loved by God because the things I've done have separated me from God and I'm going to die. Later, I'll just put it more importantly, I understood that it accepts me as I was. So when I, on the following Sunday, when I went to give my life to Jesus, I understood that then, that he was accepting me even though I, I didn't deserve it. Um, I appreciated that it's a free gift. We used to stand in the street and hold out our loaf of bread to see if some people would take it. And many people wouldn't. But they could just come and take the bread and go. It was just, but people are so re reserved, aren't they? I realised that I couldn't be good enough for Jesus. And therefore, how much more appreciative are we of 
Jesus dying on the cross, exchanging, oh, I brought a tea bag with me, I haven't got it with me, exchanging his goodness and righteousness for us. Now, another penny that dropped for me, you know, like the tea bag, if you shake it, the tea leaves are loose inside, aren't they? So if I was to cut it open and tip out, the, what I love about this is that the leaves are attached to the bag. So when I read Romans 7.17, if you want to catch this, um, but if I do what I don't really want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It's the sin living in me that does it. So I began to see that that dark side, those tea leaves, if you like, inside me, weren't truly me. They were stopping me being me. And Jesus could somehow cut the tea bag, tip it all out, and pour his love and, and, and light in instead. And that was powerful for me because I didn't feel, you know, you're a dirty rotten cinema. Well, it's the sin living in me and I need to get that dealt with. That was, that was really helpful. Um, I'm just going to turn to 1 Corinthians 1.18. And it was mentioned in worship this morning, this, so I appreciate that. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. Yeah, here we are. Um, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are heading for destruction. But we who are being saved, it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the, intelligence, the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's de brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. So, you know, we can, we can work it all out and we can have all Socrates and whatever philosophers and, and, and debate everything, but that's earthly wisdom. So to understand God's wisdom, we've got to say, okay, God, you know better. <laughs> you know better. He used the foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews and who ask for signs, and it's foolish to the Greeks, that's the, that's the rest of us, who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified... The Gentiles say it's all nonsense. So this is a mystery. It's hard to explain. But Jesus, remember, he took all the world's sin. Yours and mine. Future, past and present. And so much to the extent that he felt separated from God. Because sin separates us from God, doesn't it? And so Jesus cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned? He actually felt that. So there's nothing in our lives that Jesus has not felt, not experienced. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, so when Jesus says, yeah, this, this is the key from the scripture. When Jesus says, oh, it's gone. Um, I've come for people who know they are sinners. That is a sign to me that you can just tell when someone's speaking, can't you, that they are moving closer to Jesus. They're beginning to understand this. Because Jesus is saying when they know, they're ready to come to, to Dr. Jesus, if you like. Um, Grace, we begin to understand the magnitude of what grace is. It's a free, undeserved gift, undeserved favour towards the unworthy. Mercy is not receiving the just penalty for our sins. Mercy is clemency, leniency. It forbears punishment. It gives up punishment even when justice demands it. And surely that's not right, is it? Justice should be done in God's sight. God is a God of justice. So Jesus paid for your debt... By a brutal punishment, he paid it all and he exchanged his righteousness for our sins. 
Okay. So finally, I wanted to put that music on now, Josh. Is that all right? I just want to summarise up what I've said. When Jesus called Matthew, Matthew accepted the call. He followed and became a disciple. Two things, not just one. You can follow Jesus. He said, you know, something, you follow me for my bread because I fed you. But follow me and be a disciple. Matthew went from being a despised tax collector to be an accepted person. Acceptance is so important, particularly if you experience rejection. You want to know that you're accepted. You're accepted in Jesus. You become a child of God. Matthew invited sinners and those of disrepute to meet with Jesus at his home. Remember to have in your prayers how you can make things missional. The Pharisees saw people as scum. Jesus said he'd come for those who are sick. Those who know they are sinners. If you know you want to exchange your sin for Jesus' righteousness, then you can in your time of need. Come to the throne of God's grace, undeserved grace, and where you'll find Dr. Jesus and he'll see you straight away. There's no cue in, in Jesus' surgery. You are loved. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship. If you read the Amplified, it says we're God's poem. Because there isn't really an English word to express that, that original Greek, uh, Hebrew word. Now, isn't that beautiful that we're a work of art? So if you damage a work of art, it breaks the heart of the painter or of the constructor or whatever, doesn't it? And, and, and Jesus, God is upset when he sees that we're hurted. Life's kicked us in the teeth. That hurts God. And he wants to be able to put it right. He says he will give you back the years that the locusts have stolen. You're separate from God and you're lost. The moment you step and turn towards God, he will come to meet you. Remember that lovely picture of the prodigal son where it says the father was looking out on the horizon. As soon as he saw him, he ran towards him because the son was coming back. Jesus has made a way by exchanging all our mess for his righteousness. It separated us from God. You can now decide to what you want to do. You've now got a choice. You've now heard that there's a different way of living. We need to turn if we want to do what God's way to life. Well, the road to destruction is easy and wide. I'm going to read the scripture from uh, Hebrews, I think. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. He lets us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.